I'm thankful to be able to stand before you again this evening. I appreciate uh, the kind introduction that Brother Jim has given to me each evening. I want to express appreciation to each of you for the uh, hospitality that has been shown to uh, Lois and me while we've been here. We have been, enjoyed your company. We appreciate the kind words that have been uh, expressed concerning the sermons. Um, and uh, the hospitality, the good food that we had on Sunday, uh, Jim is right. I ate too much. It's probably a probably a five-pound sermon, a five-pound meeting at least. Uh, but uh, and it feels like it uh, this this evening. And so I hope to maybe uh, do some road work next week. Uh, I'll need to. But um, I count, uh, and Lois and I count Jim and Janice as two of the dearest friends we have on the face of the earth. We are uh, thankful for this good friendship that we have had for 42 years. And uh, when we first met them, Seth's uh, mother was just uh, about one or two years of age. And Lois and I didn't have any children at that time. And I was giving good advice to Jim and Janice about how to rear their girls. And you know, those who don't have children, they have all the answers. And I had all the answers, uh, I thought, until uh, we had boys. <laughs> and then it all changed. But uh, I count them as very dear friends, and I'm thankful for the opportunity we've had together uh, these few days, and uh, look forward to other opportunities as well. In Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 15, if you have or through 14, rather, you have your Bibles. Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 14. Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What an amazing statement by the Apostle Paul. Where was he at this time? He was in prison. He was in prison in Rome. And he did not know at this point in time whether he would be released from prison or whether he was going to die. But he said regardless that uh, whether in life or death, Christ would be magnified in his body, in his life. What an amazing attitude he had. He wrote four epistles while he was in prison in Rome on this occasion. He wrote the book of Ephesians. He wrote the book of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And the book of Philippians is a rich book. And it is an, a book that is very encouraging. It's amazing from the standpoint that he was writing to the church that he was dearest to, it seems. And uh, he had a special relationship with them. I think we read that from Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He said, When I departed from Macedonia, no church had fellowship with me as concerning or as regarding the matter of giving and receiving, but ye only. And they sent once and again in his necessities. And so they, there was a special bond between Paul and the church at Philippi. And here he is in prison, and rather than they encouraging him, 
He is encouraging them. What a marvelous attitude he had. And this statement here that I've read to you, the text in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, is one that I would like for us to give consideration to for uh, a few minutes. You know, the Bible, the New Testament, speaks of the Christian life in a number of different metaphors. Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Matthew 5, 13. So he compared us to salt. He compared us to light. He says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that it may give light unto all that are in the house. Therefore let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we're compared to light. And we, of course, reflect the light of Jesus Christ. He is the light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. And we are reflectors of that light, or we are to be. And the Bible also speaks of our being soldiers. Paul told Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. He told the Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 17. But here in this passage, Paul compares the Christian life to a race. He does it here and he does it in another place as well. Consider with me 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Paul said, know you not that they which run the race run all? But one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself also should be cast away. So he compares the Christian life to a race. And he says that just as the uh, individual who is training for a race must uh, have self-control, he must practice temperance, must be temperate in all things, so in essence must we as Christians. And he says now they do it to obtain the corruptible crown, one that of course fades away. But we, as Christians, are seeking an incorruptible crown. And then he says, in, uh, so run. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. I think Tyndall's translation is interesting here. It says, I tame my body. And so, the Christian life is compared here, as in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, with a race. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, also compares the Christian life to a race. But I would like for us to look at this passage in Philippians 3, 13 and 14 for a few minutes and make a few uh, comments on it. Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't reached the point yet. I ha I'm not at the state of perfection yet. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, 
Paul was singular in his focus. He had a single focus. He had tunnel vision, if you please. I think the problem with many people is that they either have too many irons in the fire or not enough fire. Too many people are involved in so many things that they're not single in their focus. They're not, they don't have tunnel vision. Paul says, this one thing I do. What was that, Paul? He was singular in his focus. He was not going in all directions at once. He had a goal. His goal was to go to heaven. And that must be your goal. And that must be my goal. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. This one thing I do. What was involved in this one thing? Forgetting those things which are behind. You know, it's good to have a good forgettery about some things. Those things referred to here in this passage, though, in reference to his attainments in Judaism. Go back in the same chapter and look at beginning in verse 4. Philippians 3, verse 4. Paul says, Though I might have also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Evidently, uh, the Judaizing teachers were saying, Well, he doesn't have the qualifications. You know, he's not what he ought to be. And Paul, uh, and perhaps even they were trying to encourage individuals to go back into Judaism. And Paul says, If anyone has reason to boast about his uh, attainments in Judaism, I do. And uh, his credentials, he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But he says, what things I counted, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. All the accomplishments that he had in Judaism, all of his credentials in Judaism, he says, I count but dumb. I count but lost for Jesus Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. And so he was willing to forget some things. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. You know, we should forget some things as well. If we as children of God have, of course, obeyed the gospel, and we, that's the only way we become children of God, by hearing it, believing it, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, 
being immersed into water for the remission of our sins, there is no need for us to continue to remember those sins that have been forgiven if we have truly repented of them. For in Hebrews 8 and verse 12, we're told there that our sins and our iniquities he will remember no more. That doesn't mean he doesn't know about them, that God doesn't know about them, but he does not hold them against us anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us if we have obeyed the gospel. And that's a matter of faith in reference to believing what the Lord has said if we've done what he has told us to do. Then we as children of God, when we sin, and we all sin, 1 John 1 and verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we, he's speaking to children of God, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thus we should forget those things of the past. Not that we uh, shouldn't learn from them. We should. I had a boss one time that used to say, when I first started working for him, he said, it's, you're going to make mistakes. He said, just don't make the same mistake twice. Pretty good point. We should learn from our mistakes. So we should forget some things. It is a healthy thing in some matters to have a good forgettery. We should forget those who have mistreated us. We should forget those who have been rude to us. We should forget those who hate us. We should forget those things. Remember the story about Marshall Keeble, how he was preaching in the place and some man slapped him in the face. And someone said to Brother Keeble, Brother Keeble, aren't you going to do anything? He said, I done turned him over to the Lord. And that's what we must do. I think that's Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Not in my hands. Leave it to the Lord. The Lord will take care of it. Not all wrongs will be made right in this life. But one day they shall be. And this entails having a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I am not a supporter of the New English Bible, but I do like the rendering of uh, the uh, words, the description in 1 Corinthians 13 regarding love. Let me read it to you. Love is patient, love is kind, and envies no one. Love is never boastful, nor conceited, nor rude, never selfish, not quick to take offense. Love keeps no score of wrongs, does not gloat over other men's sins, but delights in the truth. There's nothing that love cannot face. There is no limit to its faith, its hope, and its endurance. Love will never come to an end. Now that may not be perhaps a faithful translation, but it's a good commentary on the passage. And it certainly does describe love. The story is told of an old woman after the Civil War that showed Robert E. Lee 
a tree that was in her front yard that the Yankees had, had shot up, had scars all in it. And she said to Robert E. Lee, what should I do about that tree? He said, cut it down and forget it. Cut it down and forget it. Good advice. I had a high school principal that used to say, regarding some matters, he said, charge it to the dust and let the rain settle it. That's pretty good advice too. Some things we need to forget. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. The expression reaching forth there means to strain forward. Just as you're watching a race, you see the runner stretching forward. So also must we. It means the idea of to attempt to energetically to attain a state or condition, to seek strongly, to try hard, to do uh, doing one's best to attain those things that are ahead. That's what it means. Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth in those things that are before, I press toward the mark. Those things which are before. What are those things which are before? Well, of course, ultimately and foremost is heaven. Heaven should be our goal. If we miss heaven, we've missed it all. We have been failures. It doesn't matter if we have been successful in business in this life. It doesn't matter how much money we make. It doesn't matter how many possessions we have. It doesn't matter about what kind of car we drive. It doesn't matter anything about that. If we miss heaven, we are failures. Reaching forth in those things that are before, surely that must include spiritual growth. In order to go to heaven, I've got to grow spiritually. Paul said, in, or Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, beginning beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten he was purged from his sins. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord desires that we grow spiritually. That's not the duty just of preachers or elders. It is the duty of every Christian. And, of course, that entails the knowledge of the Bible. One's not going to grow spiritually if he doesn't grow in the knowledge of God's Word. In Acts 17 and verse 11, we read that these were more noble than those at Thessalonica, and that they received the Word with all readiness in mind, and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and doctrine. Continue in them. When doing this, in verse uh, uh, 46, First uh, Timothy 4, he says, uh, Take heed in thyself and into the doctrine, uh, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Earlier he says, Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And though that is a word spoken to a preacher, it applies to all of us as Christians. 
reaching forth in those things that are before also includes the idea of helping others in need. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered unto the saints, and do minister. So God's not going to be forgetful of anything that you do for his people, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as others, as you have opportunity. But in the context here, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forth in those things that are before, I press toward the mark. What is that one thing? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's not running just to be running. There's purpose in, in running. In this spiritual race. It is pressing toward the mark of the prize that is in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark of the prize that is in Christ Jesus. And it is a high calling. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, we read that Jesus Christ is the greatest example that we can have. For even here until we are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And so, I can go to heaven if I will keep my eyes on the mark, the prize, the mark of the prize of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. That is what we're running for, so that we can go to heaven. What are some things which hinder us from pressing toward the mark of the prize, notice, of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus? Let me suggest to you some hindrances. Number one, a lack of faith. A lack of faith can cause us to turn away or fall away from the truth. I think in reference to the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 13 when the, when the 12 spies returned from having spied out the land of Canaan, two were faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb. The 10 spies came back and said, why there are giants in the land and we are but grasshoppers in their sight. We are not able to take that land. Well, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, we are well able to go in and take that land because God is with me. God is with us in this matter. There's a difference in attitude. There's a difference in faith. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by the word of God. Acts chapter 15 and verse 7, Peter said there uh, that when Peter rose up in the uh, council, he said, Men and brethren, you know that how a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my uh, mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You have to hear it first before you can believe. You have to read it first before you can believe it. If you don't believe that, let's take a little test just for a moment. I'll give you just a minute or two. I want you to believe something you've never heard before. How you doing? Well, you can't, you can't believe something you've never heard before. You have to hear it first. You can't believe God's word unless you first hear it. So you must spend time 
with the book. Sin is a great hindrance for many. The writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore, being compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sin has been the cause of the downfall of many. And in fact, why is it that the carcasses fell in the wilderness? Hebrews chapter 3 tells us it was because of unbelief. Of unbelief. Hebrews 3, 17 beginning. The writer says, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore, verse chapter 4 says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, meaning his eternal rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So unbelief, sin, will keep us out of heaven and keep us, hinder us from pressing along the, the mark of the prize of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. One's family. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But one's family can be a hindrance to individuals going to heaven. Jesus said in Luke 16, or rather Luke 14 and verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, wife and children, brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. The word hate there does not mean as we uh, think it uh, means today. The connotation is different. It simply means to love less, uh, to hate. We must love the Lord more than we love our family ties, our earthly ties. Now, someone well said that blood is thicker than water and sometimes it's thicker than Christianity. Why? Because people have more love for their families, for a wife, for a husband, for a son or a daughter, for a parent, than he does or she does to God. The troubles of life have been a hindrance for many in causing them to turn away from the path that the Lord has set and of which Paul speaks of here in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Just the troubles of life and we are all subject to them. Some, it seems, more than others. But you recall that Jesus on one occasion in Matthew the 14th chapter, I mentioned this earlier in the week, of how Jesus came walking on the water to his apostles who were striving hard, rowing, trying to get across the Sea of Galilee. And they saw Jesus far off and they were fearful. They saw him, it looked like he was passing by and they were afraid. 
And Jesus comforted them. And Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, let me come unto thee. And Peter stepped out of the boat. But when he stepped out, as he walked a ways, it seems, as the text tells us, that he saw the winds being boisterous. And he was afraid. And he began to sink. And I think that happens to people in the church sometimes. They think about the troubles that they're dealing with and they take their eyes off of Jesus and they fall away. And how sad that is. That's why our faith needs to be so strong. And Jesus pointed out to Peter he was of little faith on that occasion. But when people take their eyes off of Jesus, then their faith is going to fail and they're going to fall. But what are some things that will help us press on toward the mark? Well, a greater faith. We're looking at the other side of the coin now. A greater faith. And then, of course, repenting of any sin that stands in our way of going to heaven. And every sin will if we do not repent of it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, lay aside every sin uh, that does so easily beset us. And then love the Lord more than earthly tithes, as I've already mentioned. What is it that encourages us in the Christian life? Witnesses. If you look at the passage there in Hebrews 12, Paul says, Wherefore, being compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Who are those witnesses? Well, they're the witnesses found in, the hall of, in faith's hall of fame in the previous chapter. They're Enoch and Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and Moses and all those that are mentioned and even... The writer says that time or space did not allow him to say much more about others, but he alluded to them. And they are witnesses. And they encourage us. How do they encourage us? By their examples. That's the value of the Old Testament. And as we're running the race, we can see, well, here's David, and here's Moses, and here's Abraham. And they encourage us. Look what they went through. And we can do it too. I heard the story about a, a man by the name of Zatopak. He was a Czechoslovakian. I think he won the 1952 Olympics. He won the uh, gold medal in the 5,000 meter, the 10,000 meter. And in the last moment, he decided he would run the marathon. He's the only individual that's ever won all three events in one Olympics. But as he was running one, one of these races... He was beginning to tire as he was coming around the track. And the crowd began to uh, shout his name and to clap, Zetopak, 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 Zetopak. And he began to pick up his pace. And he ran faster and faster. And ultimately he won the race. Well, wh why was he able to do that? Well, the crowd was encouraging him. The witnesses that are around us, those Old Testament characters of great faith, encourage us, but even more, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Wherefore, 
being compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus encourages us, encourages us by his example. And that ought to keep us going. That ought to help us to press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Yes, there will be uh, struggles. Yes, there will be obstacles that we have to overcome. But we can turn those obstacles into stepping stones to heaven. If you turn back in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. What? All your troubles, here you are in prison for your faith, and you're saying that these things have turned out to the furtherance of the gospel? Absolutely. Why, there were some that were now Christians in Caesar's court. Soldiers. Because, you see, they were chained to Paul as he's in prison. And uh, they may have thought that they, they had Paul as a prisoner, but he had them as a prisoner as well. And he preached to them. And some of them must have obeyed the gospel. And the expression there, furtherance, is a word in the Greek that means the idea of a group of men that go before a king preparing the way so that the king can pass by unimpeded and arrive quickly at his destination. So Paul says, my troubles in a sense were divine woodcutters preparing the way for the gospel. Our troubles can either be an encouragement to others as we face them and as God helps us get through them, or they can destroy us. That's why James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that a trying of your faith worketh patience. And I can think of no better example than uh, Brother Weir, who's here this evening. Faithfulness in the uh, services, even though he lost his mate of 70 years. Now that ought to encourage everyone to be faithful to the services. If here is a man that can come to services and be faithful, in spite of the fact that he lost his loved one, his dear wife, what about you and me? And we have a young couple in, at Shelbyville Road. They lost a little, little girl. She was, was she 16 months old? I can't remember how old she was. She had cancer, neuroblastoma. And it was an up and down situation. It was a roller coaster for them because the doctors would give them hope and then she would take a turn for the worse, and then she'd get better, and then a turn for the worse. And ultimately, uh, the, the little girl died. Elena died. But I, I never had this to happen before. She died, I believe it was, on a Sunday. They called me, knowing that death was near, and they said, Ben, we want you to come up here. When I got up there, they said, we'd like for you to read some scriptures on heaven because we want to go to heaven. We want to be with her one day. 
And that couple is stronger today because of the death of that little girl. And, and John now has preached for me on occasions. He leads singing, of course. He's been doing that. He has taught classes. And they're growing spiritually because they want to go to heaven. Our troubles can either take us down or with our faith in God, they can help make us stronger and get through it and endure and we'll be stronger because of it. If one is faithful, let us always remember this. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man should do unto me. If we do what's right, the Lord will bless us. He will be with us regardless of what comes. And keep in mind, the Christian life is not a sprint. You know, I never was a good sprinter. I'm more of a distance man, and I can barely make the distance now. It's a marathon for most of us. And so we must continue to be faithful. And others can encourage us as we run this race. Several years ago, I was running in a mini marathon, 13.1 miles running. I say I was trying to run. Uh, I was averaging about 10, 10.30 a mile. I thought that was pretty good for an old man. And uh, I got to about the 10-mile mark, and I heard behind me, get out of the way, get out of the way. They were running a marathon at the same time. Uh, they were running a little different course, but they were running the same, some of the same uh, roads that we were on, started at the same time. And I got out of the way, and here comes this Kenyan or this Ethiopian. I'm not sure. He went flying past me. He was the leader in the marathon. And I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And so I started picking up the pace a little bit. He was finishing the marathon, 26.2 miles, when I was finishing the uh, mini-marathon, 13.1. That tells you how slow I was. But that guy was moving on. Well, that encouraged me. I, I ran a little faster because of that. So it's a marathon that we're running, not a sprint. And keep in mind, all that we do for the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you do for the Lord, even if it's a cup of cold water, for the Lord, it's not forgotten. And so Paul says, Forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of thy calling, which is in Christ Jesus. And I hope that you're pressing toward that mark. As we press toward the mark, let us learn to forget some things. Let us focus on the goal of heaven. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us press on helping others as we go so that heaven will be our home one day. But you first have to get in the race. You've got to qualify, so to speak.
And to qualify, you have to become a Christian. You have to believe the gospel with all your heart. John 8, 24, Jesus said, For if you believe not that I'm he, you shall die in your sins. You must be willing to repent of your sins. Acts 17, 30, in the times of sickness, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. You must confess Christ before men. Romans 10, 10, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you must be immersed into water for the remission of your sins. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you've done that, but you've been unfaithful, what you must do is by repentance, by confession of sin, and by prayer, get right with God. We're told in Acts 8.22 that Peter told Simon, repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. If it be a sin of a private nature, take care of it privately. If you've done an individual wrong, go to that individual, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And if you have sinned in such a public way that is known, then your brethren will pray with you and for you, and God will forgive you, and you will be received into fellowship. What a wonderful thought that is to enjoy the sweet fellowship in Christ Jesus. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to come while together we stand and sing.